You can have a seat. Good morning. Uh, We're glad to be together this Advent season. Um, Advent is a season of anticipation. It's a season of expectant waiting. And so we carve out these few weeks here leading up to Christmas to re-engage our hearts. What was originally an awaiting for the Savior for the first time, for us is a, is a reconnecting with that waiting for Jesus, our Savior. Now, we don't have to wait in the same way that those who were waiting for the birth of Jesus had to wait. Because Jesus has come. He lives in His people by the Holy Spirit. But as we move closer on the calendar to the traditional celebration of the birth of Christ, this celebration of Christmas, perhaps it's good for us to slow down a little, to pause, to consider the significance of the incarnation. God, come near to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So for the next four weeks, we're going to move towards Christmas together under this banner uh, the, the words that the angels used when they proclaimed the birth of Jesus to those shepherds in a field. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That's going to be our, our theme as we move through these next few weeks. Good news of great joy. So, so what good news were these angels talking about? What is the good news about Jesus, that should bring about a fullness of joy. The angel was telling those shepherds in a field that Jesus Christ himself, God's own Messiah, was born to them. Jesus, their long-awaited Savior. Jesus, their Prince of Peace. Jesus, their perfect and once-for-all sacrificial Lamb. Jesus, their true and forever King. This is indeed good news. And this is what we're going to look at over the next number of weeks. Now, if you read through the gospel accounts, the accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus, you will read of many people, many people who profess faith in the living God. They say, oh, I believe in God. I'm part of God's covenant people. They say they are waiting for the arrival of the Savior into their lives. But when God shows up in the flesh... When the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets finally shows up, finally comes true, they find and we read that they're just not ready. They're not sure that they actually need a Savior. They're pretty content in their own lives. They they seem to be, in their own minds, doing just fine on their own. They don't need a king. So I want us to take some time and reflect as a church. Are we ready to receive what God has for us? Are we prepared as Jesus, through God's Word, reveals His best for us? Do we welcome Him? Do we welcome Jesus? Or do we turn Him away and say, Sorry, the inn of my heart is full of other things. There's no room for that here. You see, I think we like the idea of baby Jesus in a manger. We like the idea of salvation from sin and salvation from hell, but the reality, the reality of God incarnate, the reality of Jesus' rule and reign has deep implications, not just at Christmas and not just one time when we first come to faith in Jesus. Over the next couple of weeks, 
We're going to bang this drum that the good news of Jesus isn't just a one-time event on the calendar or a one-time event in history. But as Jesus, our Savior, Jesus as our Prince of Peace, Jesus as our Lamb, Jesus as our King, how, how this reality of who He is is good for us each and every day of our lives. So today, to open our time, I want to ask this one question. Are we ready? Are our hearts ready? It doesn't take a year like 2020 to expose us, but it has, right? Is my heart, is your heart open and ready to receive what Jesus has for us? Because I believe the Spirit of God is calling God's people to continual preparation of our hearts for the rule and reign of Jesus in our lives. Not just once, but every day as we walk and live by faith. So we're going to read a couple passages today as we consider what it means to have hearts prepared to receive. The first is Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 9. And the second is the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. So we're going to be in two places today. We'll read them uh, back to back. Isaiah chapter 40 first, and then the passage from Luke chapter 1. Um, It'll be on the screen as well if you'd like to follow along. This is God's word for us this morning. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through nine. <clears throat> a voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is like grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Now Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is God's word for us this morning. Now, I think we often fail to receive what God has for us just mostly because we're, we're not ready. It it comes at us and we're caught off guard. And there are many reasons why we might not be ready, but there is a preparation, a making ready to receive what we want to look at today. The the passages from Isaiah and Luke are highlighting the, the, the preview, the preparation, the what's coming. Specifically, there's one who will be the preparer for the king to come. A voice crying in the wilderness. The one who will turn hearts. This person has a name. And his name is John. Known as John 
the Baptist. He was the cousin of Jesus and lived a pretty wild and radical life out in the wilderness. He preached about repentance from sin. He proclaimed that one was coming after him and the one that was following him was going to be the fulfillment of all God's promises to his people. So that's what we're going to look at today. We'll outline our time this way. It's kind of three ideas. One, a people prepared. Two, hearts that are turned. And three, good news proclaimed. John's job, his sole purpose in life was to prepare the way for Jesus. And so that's our first point today, a people prepared. When we read verse 17 of Luke 1, uh, we read that John's job was to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John was sent before Jesus. And the idea of making someone ready implies that they are not yet ready. In our house, um, all of our kids can, can basically dress themselves. And I say basically because not all the time do tops and pants and shoes all match. Um, Not all the time are there socks underneath those shoes. But so basically they can get themselves ready. But often what comes from my mouth or my wife's is, can you go get ready now? And what we're implying in that is you're still in your pajamas, right? You need to put pants on to leave the house. So the implication is John's sent to make them ready because they're not ready. And Isaiah 40, verse 4, paints the picture of what the preparation looks like. In Isaiah 40, it says, Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. The, The picture here is one of removing obstacles. Anything that would hinder the glorious arrival of the king will be removed. The low spots will be raised up to be level. The the high places will be brought down so that they're not in the way. The rough, uneven ground will be made smooth. Now, this is metaphorical language in Isaiah. John did not come to do geological excavation. He didn't come with a backhoe and uh, a front loader to like level the actual literal ground. He was talking about heart excavation. God's people being renewed and ready to receive so that the the low places, the the deep holes and cavities in their hearts and in their souls would be filled up so that they'd be in a place ready to receive. That the high and lofty and self-exalted places would be brought back down so that that wouldn't be a hindrance to receive the king. John's come to do heart excavation work. And the big overall self-examination question right here is this. What are the things that get in the way of receiving all that God has for you? What are the mountains, the things that seem absolutely impossible for you to move? What are the valleys, the low spots, the ruts? What ground is uneven under your feet? The places where you're unsure, the places that seem shaky. What are the places that are rough, maybe even treacherous? See, these are the things that get in the way. Now, they don't hinder the king. He's coming. Nothing's going to actually stop him, mountain, valley, rough road, 
No, he, he's coming in all of his glory. They don't hinder the king's arrival. They actually hinder our ability to receive the king. This is the picture Isaiah gives us of this prepared way. And as we consider what we're celebrating at Christmas, God incarnate, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, wrapping himself in human flesh, taking on a a complete human nature, coming near to us. I ask again, what does it look like to have a heart that is ready? See, John's job was to prepare the way, to, to make people ready. And the angel said, which is what's happening here in Luke, the angel is telling John's father, Zechariah, hey, you're going to have a kid. And here's his job. He's going to be the one who will prepare the way for the Messiah. And the angel said, in preparation for Jesus, John would turn the hearts of God's people and to be made ready to receive all that Jesus has for us might I suggest that perhaps our hearts need to be turned as well. The first kind of big idea here of this good news is a prepared people. The second is hearts that are turned. Look with me again at Luke chapter 1. And he, this is speaking of John, verse 16, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. See, there are many who are in the covenant community, who are in Israel, whose hearts are not turned toward God, but away from God. Much like the being told to get ready means that you're not ready. Being told that your heart needs to be turned says that it's turned some other direction. That's the implication. See, these these people who are part of God's covenant community, they know the law and the prophets. They know uh, of the, the promise of the coming Messiah. And yet, their hearts are turned in other directions. I don't know about you, but I, I feel that. I feel that tug all the time. Don't you? The, the, the pull of our heart's affections, the things we love, the things we desire the things we we put our attention and our hope in, do do you feel that pull towards other things? I I do. See, John's work of preparation is a work of renewal and revival. And the Holy Spirit's work today is turning our hearts in reorienting our eyes and our affections. This, This is a work of renewal and revival. Hearts turned back to the Lord, your God. Maybe you've experienced this, where you felt there was a season of your life walking with Jesus when you felt like, man, Jesus and me are killing it right now. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like he's with me. I'm feeling like I have purpose. And I don't know how it happens or when it happens or or what, but then you, you pause for a second and you look and you're like, where did that go? Why is it dry? Why am I exhausted? Why do I feel aimless? Might I suggest that often it's because our hearts have just slowly over time been turned towards other things and in the end we find them lacking and empty. Verse 17, the angel telling John's father, and he, John, will go before him, that him is Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, Elijah is one of like the OG prophets, right? He's one of the big guns. 
one of the ones who you should you should listen to him, you should see how God uses him in the life of God's people. Perhaps one of the most significant messengers God has used in the history of his people and Elijah's prophetic ministry was marked by power. I'd encourage you to go back and read through how God used Elijah. And so this work that John is doing, this spiritual work, requires spiritual power. So so what John's doing here, and what he's tasked to do, is not just an attitude adjustment. Right? He's not just trying to correct their behavior. Hey guys, do better. If he's going forward in the spirit and the power of Elijah, then his purpose is deeply spiritual. This isn't behavior modification. This is wholesale heart transformation. This can only happen by a work of the Holy Spirit. That's the the reference there, I think, to Elijah and the power necessary to bring about the change that he's talking about. Let's keep reading in verse 17. He says, To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. The hearts of fathers turned to their children was a prophecy spoken of the work of Elijah recorded in Malachi chapter 4. Malachi is speaking of what Elijah will do in turning the hearts of the fathers of Israel to their children. And that gets repeated here saying, John will bring this about as he ushers in the way for Jesus. And so there's this connection here between John's work of preparation and the parallel of Elijah's work. And it had two major components here. The hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the just. Now, what exactly Malachi, Elijah, and the angel here speaking of John meant about turning the hearts of the fathers to the children is not exactly known. There's a couple of ways uh, it can be, can be understood. Uh, some biblical scholars say John is going to restore broken families, that connection piece, that communal family piece, the line uh, of spiritual authority and from fathers to children, that that's going to be restored in places where it's broken. It could be that John is also speaking of the metaphorical fathers in Israel who fail to discipline and raise up their uh, their sons to to love and fear the Lord. I mean, it's marked. the The scriptures are marked by like parenting failures. We talked about David a number of weeks ago and how he must have looked at his family line and went, "What happened?" Right. So, so it could be speaking of that. John could also, or John could also be the one who, whose work will help the, the metaphorical forefathers, if you will, of Israel rejoice as they watch their people turn from their sin and, and return to the Lord. Their, the renewal of their people as they turn away from renewal. So the Abrahams and the Isaacs and the Jacobs of their historical family would look down in a sense through the corridors of time and say, yes, renewal is working in God's people. So we don't fully know all that this entails. It could be any or all of that. But there's a turning of hearts of the fathers to the children. There's a softening, a humbling that's happening there. Also, we're seeing a turning of the hearts 
back to the Lord that results in humble repentance. The disobedient are being turned from their disobedience to the wisdom of the just. The angel giving us a message about John to Zechariah, he uses this word disobedient. Disobedient is simply those unwilling to obey. The non-obedient. Right? And that might be us. <laughs> there's, there's places in our lives where just it's just straight up disobedience. And, and that disobedience to God's word, to his uh, call in our lives, that is a huge roadblock. We cannot expect to have our hearts ready to receive God's blessing when we are actively pushing against his work in our lives. That maybe seems like a no-brainer, but I'm just going to say it. If we have the Spirit of God living in us, as believers in Jesus do, then obvious disobedience is obvious. <laughs> right? But it's not the only thing. I'd like to add a couple more. Because it's not just disobedience to obedience. It's disobedience to the wisdom of the just. So applying wisdom... What we know and understand is now put into practice. There's some other things that draw our attention away that would keep us, hinder us from receiving. John's specifically pointing out the disobedient. But it's not just active disobedience. It might be distraction. And it might be devastation. You might be distracted. You're filling your time and energy with other things. Right? My watch tells me every week on Sunday mornings, by the way, I don't know if I can change that setting. It usually just buzzes at me about five minutes before the service starts. Here's your screen time for the week. Sometimes I feel really good about that. Other times I'm getting ready to start singing. Kyle's starting to play songs and my phone goes, man, you were on your phone a lot this week. I've got to change that setting to not be Sunday mornings. Right? But I'm distracted often. Right? We fill our time and our energy with, with so many other things. And some of it is just feels like there's a thousand things every day that are just clamoring for our attention. Or maybe you feel just, you've got to be doing something, so you just feel the need to be busy. Maybe for you, it's driven out of a sense of fear of not doing enough. Maybe for you, it's just driven out of a sense of pure boredom. <laughs> And so maybe you just distract yourself with less important things. Maybe trivial waste, or maybe you've just filled up your life with seemingly good things. Just one good thing after another. And the challenge, it leaves room for little else. Maybe you're distracted. Or maybe, maybe you're just feeling beat up. Maybe you're just sitting in a place of devastation. I mean, have you ever had something just clean, wipe you out? where recovery took a long, long, long time. In fact, you can't really just take in anything else because you, you don't have anything else. You don't have any other room. You have nothing else to give. You've just been wiped out. Maybe you're feeling devastated. The, the contrast here in Luke is, is turning from disobedience to the wisdom of the just. That word just means righteous, upright, the, the idea here is turning from what is false to a better source 
of truth, a better source of wisdom. So to the disobedient, to the distracted, to the devastated, the Spirit of God is calling you to find your source of purpose, to find your source of direction, to find your source of value, to find your source of hope in Him. That's freedom. As Romans 2 says, that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's this welcome back from all the things that have just either wiped us out or draw our attention or have stolen our affections. So rest when we're frantic and weary. The Lord gives His children rest. Psalm 127. Strength when we're at our weakest. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, because it's when we are weak that He is strong, His power is perfected in us. A prepared people are having their hearts and affections turned back to the Lord. And that's our hope for ourselves. Whether we're doing it to ourselves, walking in disobedience, whether we're just beat up and and distracted and our minds are scattered, or whether we're broken down and others have sinned against us and we're carrying heavy loads. Each of those is different and each of them is being called back to find their source of hope in the Lord. A prepared people, hearts turned. And finally, the third part is this, the good news proclaimed. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Look at verse 9 of Isaiah chapter 40. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. The, The whole big picture here is this. There is good news for you. The way in your heart is being prepared. Your own heart is being turned. You are being made ready to receive something that is very good. Now we'll unpack these things in the coming weeks, but but here's something good for you. Jesus coming to live amongst His people, to die, to rise again, to ascend gloriously to the right hand of the Father, And to rule and reign, that's good news for you. It's good news that the bondage that you're in to sin, the sin and temptation that that tends to plague you, the shame and the guilt that weighs heavy upon you, Jesus has come to save you from that. He has come to loose those chains of bondage to sin so that they no longer hold sway over you. They don't rule you any longer. And instead, the shame that you're used to living under, that you've grown comfortable in, He's come to remove that and replace it. And so instead of that heavy weight of shame, He gives you instead a crown of glory instead of shame. Jesus comes as your rescuer and your Savior. Jesus coming is good news for those of you who are frantically searching for anything to calm your fears. 
Anything that you can find that will settle the restlessness and the worry of the world around you that has crept into your own heart. Because so often, beyond our ability to understand, Jesus is our Prince of Peace. This idea of shalom, it's peace and fullness, not absent from pain, but in the midst of it. In the rest in the midst of unrest. Jesus coming to us is good for you. Jesus coming is good news because our attempts to rule our own lives as little kings and queens of our own little kingdoms, small k, too often end up with broken down walls and broken down thrones. And let me just say, you can keep trying to build your tiny k kingdom as much as you want. But lovingly hear me, it will always fail. It will always crumble. But Jesus, the King Jesus, is invading with a kingdom that isn't shaken by wars. His kingdom is not panicked by pandemics or overthrown by political rivals. His kingdom has no end. See, friends, we're invited to pause. We're invited to pause, to take a deep breath and say, okay, what do you have for me? What do you have for us? What do you want to do in us as a people? And the Holy Spirit is inviting us in this Advent season, in the midst of the busyness, in the midst of all the crazy questions about will we be with family? Will we not be with family? What's happening all around us? In this season, we have a a chance to just pause and ask, are we ready to receive what the Lord has for us? And so we're asking to have our hearts ready. We're asking to have our affections turned back to the Lord so that we don't miss what the Holy Spirit is preparing in us. Ready our hearts, Lord Jesus, is my prayer. Make me willing and ready to receive all that you have for us. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we agree with the words we sang. Our hearts are so often prone to wander, prone to to worry, prone to fear things that aren't you. I thank you that you're patient, that you know that. That you know our frame, you know our frailties. That you are slow to anger, you are abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Father, I don't know the condition of each of our hearts this morning. I don't know if if we're full of excitement. I don't know if we're full of fear or worry or just sadness and grief. But wherever it is we find ourselves this morning, Holy Spirit of God, would you meet us in that place? And would you turn our eyes from whatever those burdens might be, whatever the the distraction or the the brokenness might be, would you turn our, our eyes to see the fullness of hope we have in Jesus? Would you make us ready? 
So that as you speak to us through your word, by your Holy Spirit, we might receive what you have for us. A people prepared, hearts turned, celebrating all the goodness you are to us, Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.